Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, underage sale prohibited. Introducing Zone Nicotine Pouches, the perfect balance of unparalleled comfort, longer-lasting flavor, and nicotine that satisfies. Whether you're zoning in during the race or zoning out after a tough day at work, Zone gets you there faster and keeps you there longer. Available in seven flavors and in six and nine milligram strengths. Find Zone at zonepouches.com and retailers near you. Own your Zone with Zone Nicotine Pouches. MRN Crew Call is brought to you by Hercules Tires. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of MRN Crew Call, the program that takes you behind the scenes. On this week's program, we'll be chatting with Winston Kelly. He's MRN's lead pit reporter, but he's also the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And he's in his last full-time season with the Motor Racing Network. We'll get some perspective from Winston about that, the playoffs, and a whole lot more next. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. Welcome back to MRN Crew Call. As we said, our special guest on this week's show, Winston Kelly, the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame and MRN's lead pit announcer as we get set to start the playoffs. But first, Winston, we got a little breaking news to talk about. I saw uh, the governor of North Carolina said yesterday that the, some of the restrictions that have been in place in the state are changing, and that's great news for you and the hall, right? You guys are going to be able to reopen? Yeah, we're in uh, what he's now calling 2.5, and uh, we've had a plan that we've been ready to implement back in June, uh, all the safety protocols, and I won't bore you with all of that, but timing-wise, we're going to have the next phase of our soft reopening for just our Hall of Fame members uh, and some of our key stakeholders. That'll be the weekend of September 12th and 13th. Then we will reopen to the public on September the 16th, uh, Wednesday, September the 16th, 10 a.m., and we'll go back to our normal operating hours for this time of year, which is Wednesday through Monday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we'll continue to have Tuesdays reserved for group reservations uh, from that regard. So uh, open to the public September the 16th. Go to NASCARHall.com and, and check everything out. So uh, we're very excited about that. The team's really anxious to get back and open our doors to guests. Now, I know that there are still rules and regulations. Every state has different ones. Will there be um, some capacity requirements there? And should folks uh, call the check to see, hey, are you busy today before they come down? Well, the capacity is 50%, so uh, of fire capacity, fire code capacity, and our fire codes are 2,400 people. So we could have up to 1,200 people in this time of year and in this environment. We don't think that that's going to be an issue, so we're not going to go to time ticketing. We'll also need to monitor social distancing in certain areas, uh, up to 25 people in certain rooms and things like that which we feel like we're easily going to be able to manage. And, uh, you know, if we have more guests than we anticipate, uh, then that'll be a good problem and have to go to time ticketing. But uh, we think we'll be okay, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. 
Now I'm looking behind you and that kind of gives me the Jones to get over there and see some of the cars, but refresh folks on what the current exhibits are because I know there's a big truck display in the main hall there. Well, we did a tremendous amount of changes beginning last summer and totally redid what we used to call the race week experience. And now it's inside NASCAR, a lot of new, larger interactives and you can get us, you will get a stylus. So you won't touch the screen, but you'll have a stylus to touch your screen. So that whole area was redone in the August, September timeframe. Then in January, we did our normal updates of the hall of honor for a class of 2020. Uh, our champions case, our memorable moments from the previous year, but we also took on two other huge projects. Uh, the exhibit that you see behind me is our Glory Road champions that Dale Earnhardt Jr. helped pick out both the theme and then all 18 cars, and that was open in January, so it wasn't open that long before COVID hit and we had to shut down, and then right after that, right around the Daytona 500, we opened hauling 25 years of the NASCAR truck series. So a lot of new exhibits going back to September and especially the first part of uh, this year that we're excited to show everybody. Speaking of the exhibits, I saw something interesting recently on social media where a fan reached out with um, some memorabilia. I think it was a ticket and you were talking about the process if folks have things that they'd like you guys to take a look at that uh, whether or not it could be in the Hall of Fame. How do, how do folks get involved there? They go online. It's a real simple process, and it's in the upper right-hand corner that you click on. You know, uh, I can't remember the exact verbiage uh, that you click on it, and then it go takes you to a donation link. And one of the things, the, the good news is we get a lot of good offers. We're not looking for memorabilia, if you will, somebody's, you know, collection of their credentials or something like that. We're looking for something that's an actual part of history. And this was a ticket to the 1959 Daytona 500. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. So it goes to the curatorial affairs team, Tom Jensen, Dan Simone, look at it. They get back with the folks. And if they're looking to, to make a donation, uh, we just got a donation of another car. We've got another one that we're not ready to announce yet. We got uh, one of Bill Elliott's Thunderbirds that Junior Johnson owned last year. Uh, so we're always getting different things. And those are highlighted on the website as well. Some of the latest donations. So it's a very easy process. Just go to the website, send it in, and uh, Tom or Dan will get back with them. Let's sort of stay on the theme of historical stuff uh, as it relates to today. We're about to open the playoffs and headed to Darlington. Throwback weekend there. Uh, what, a, what a more fitting track uh, to, to get the playoffs cranked up. But I'm curious, uh, a lot of folks don't even remember that it's flip-flop now. The start-finish line is on the opposite side of where it used to be. Heading back to Darlington, I imagine that uh, in your position, that place still gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I used to go there as a kid. My dad used to do some announcing there. I remember going back in the 70s when I was in college. I was actually at the race uh, in 79, uh, what was then, I believe it was the Rebel 500 then, that Daryl and Richard swapped the lead back and forth, uh, went down with a couple of my college buddies uh, from NC State. Uh, and then when I started uh, getting involved in NASCAR, one of the things I was able to do is PA at Darlington back in the early 80s to kind of get my foot in the door. And, you know, remember when there was a, an overhang or an awning, if you will, cover all the way down what was then the front straightaway and sitting on the top of that at the end spotting for different announcers. So remember that track from that perspective and how it's flip-flopped. Uh, I was at uh, Terry's first win back in 1980, again, as a fan. 
there and, and remember that. So uh, one of my very, very favorite tracks for all different perspectives, the historical perspective, and just getting to cover some of the best moments in NASCAR that, that's happened at, at Darlington. It certainly has seen a, a ton of, of those memorable moments. But from a, a perspective of the playoffs coming in, you know, it's not been in this position before where it's opened the playoffs. What kind of dynamic does that throw into the mix? Because, A, we've already been there twice this year, and, B, we know it eats tires. Well, I think I, I love the strategy part being on pit road of how they, how they work the tires. I remember a race a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, that uh, – Carl Edwards crew chief and, and uh, it was either Dave Rogers or Darian Grubb. I think it was Dave Rogers left him out once and he went two laps down and I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck is he thinking about? And, and I had him in my fantasy pool. So I'm joking with Alex Hayden said, go in there and punch Darian in the mouth. <laughs> What's he doing? He ended up, I think we had 11 sets of tires. Then we got 13 this weekend, had 11 sets of tires. We had enough late caution flags. He had gotten back on the least lap, had an extra set of tires, won the race. So you're going to have that scenario, even with 13 sets of tires, you know, they can be out five laps and come back in. It's not, you know, a 10 lap, 12 laps. They're going to want them every single time. But if we have a lot of caution flags early, tire management and not tire management on the track, but the number of tires that you put on, I think that's going to be a huge deal and put it in the hands of the crew chiefs. And then we're going to have one of those long green flag runs that somebody's going to short pit or come in earlier than they need to. The fuel window means nothing at Darlington. You know, when you look at, at how we break down the races, they'll come in somewhere in that 40-lap range. But somebody's going to come in 30, pick up time on the racetrack. Is it going to be a monkey see, monkey do? So you're going to have that. And then you got guys that typically run very well there and those that don't. You know, the two best drivers or two best teams this year, Denny and Kevin, run extremely well there. Uh, others have not been as good there. Those might be the guys that pull uh, something out of the hat. You know, Justin Alexander, with, uh, Austin Dillon's crew chief, made a point uh, when he was on one of the shows this week to say it's not been one of our best tracks. Look for guys like that to do something different to put themselves in a position for a better finish. I'm glad you mentioned the thing on tires because I was doing a little homework myself for this weekend and 13 sets for the weekend, as you mentioned. But, you know, we, we talk about how much it eats tires and you talk about how quickly you can drop off. Looking back just this season, we only had seven sets at Daytona. Now, that's not a notorious track for chewing up tires and it was only 400 miles. Dover, a 300 miler, seven sets. Michigan, 300 miler, six sets. But go all the way back to the last 500 miler we had was at Texas. You only had nine sets there. So you go to Darlington and it gives you an idea of at least what Goodyear's thinking in terms of how much this track chews tires up. Well, and the fact that it's a 367 lap race rather than I think it's somewhere in the 328 to 334 range at Texas. So you got another 40 laps as well with the length of the racetrack. So absolutely, honestly, and, and crew chiefs that are watching this want, want to kick me in the ankle. I was hoping we'd just have those 11 sets because it really forces them to, to manage them more. I mean, you know, we still might get into where you have to run out of tires or you might run out of tires if we have a lot of early caution flags. But I loved it was when it was in that 11 range 
because you knew that that possibility existed that we were going to run out of tires and they'd have to not pit one time. But like it happened with Carl, he didn't pit and it probably wasn't but about a 30 or 40 lap run. He goes two laps down on old tires. So uh, it's going to be interesting if we start having more cautions in those first two stages. One of the interesting things as well, uh, talking about the history of the track, I was chatting with Martin Turex Jr. recently, and he said, you know, uh, I was teasing him and asked him to give advice to somebody who'd never raced at Darlington before. He said, stay as close to the wall as you can without hitting it. He laughed, and then he said, but now it's kind of changed a little bit. You have a little more room to maneuver than in past years. What have you seen there? Yeah, you, you see the groove going down a little bit, and then you'll have guys that run right up on the wall in one and two, and then are in the middle and maybe even on the lower lane. Now, they're not going to be fast lap after lap on the complete bottom lane, but that middle lane has started to come in more, which, you know, you have somebody that's going to run up high, you know, like Harry Gant, Richard Petty always did, Kyle Larson always did. You're going to have guys that run up high and some guys in that middle lane that's going to give us more options uh, to have side-by-side racing throughout a run. So yeah, it's, it's moved around a little bit, which is always good for racing. Let's talk a little bit about you personally, Winston. I heard you had said earlier this year that this would be your last full-time season, sort of like Jimmy Johnson, not going to be doing all the races anymore. He's not going anywhere, folks. He just won't be there every single weekend. But I was looking back at, at your bio, and it said, and I've heard Barney Hall talk about this, the old Universal Racing Network. That's where you got your start doing stats, right? Tell folks about that network, because it's not a common name that we hear much about these days. Yeah, my, I just wanted to get involved in racing after I got out of college and do it kind of on a part-time basis. And, and I didn't know anywhere else to go but to Hank Schofield at Universal Racing Network. My dad had done some part-time announcing for them. Dad was the first public relations director at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. When he went into business for himself, he had done a lot of PA work. So he worked with URN, worked with guys like Bob, Bob Montgomery. Uh, Ned Jarrett was at URN. That's where he got started. That's where Barney did it a lot of his early broadcasting. So I called Hank and said, you know, is there anything that I can do? He said, well, you know, I need a statistician. Uh, it pays $50 a race, uh, no expenses. You know, you get a hotel room if you're going to Richmond or Atlanta. And I said, I'm in. You know, so I did, uh, I think, 11 or 12 races the first year. We even did an IndyCar race at Atlanta uh, and then uh, continued to do that. And as MRN started picking up more of the broadcast because candidly, this was a side thing for Hank and his company. And, and MRN was investing in things like the remote equipment and things like that. And Hank was ready to ease out from that perspective. He was a track manager at North Wilkesboro. So when MRN took over Wilkesboro and Barney was the track announcer there, I got to be the track announcer at North Wilkesboro. So that then opened up some other doors to do PA at places like Bristol or Darlington, Daytona, et cetera. And then uh, later I started pestering John McMullen uh, at MRN, but uh, did statistician work and, uh, you know, would drive back from Atlanta. You know, one, one year got home about five in the morning uh, on, on Monday morning, took a shower, went to work. <laughs> We've all kind of been there in this business over the years. Uh, your first race, 88 at Martinsville, and I'm sure that was an emotional moment to think, man, I'm finally doing this. But then the very next year, you do your first Daytona 500. Tell me about the feel of driving through that tunnel knowing you're about to do the broadcast versus just the guy going to be a fan and watch the race. Well, 
for somebody who went to their first race in 1964 at Daytona uh, as a six-year-old kid, that's where I got the bug. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. You know, that first race at Martinsville, uh, I didn't have time to get nervous because I was kind of put uh, into the spot because Mike Joy got fogged in in Roanoke. But John had called me probably only a couple of weeks before the race and said, we decided to use an extra person in the garage area. Would you like to come down? Dang right, you know. Signed up for vacation at my full-time job, drove down on Wednesday, uh, and then, you know, did the qualifying races and, and everything else. We didn't have the truck races back then. But it's like I, I'll always remember just because it's Daytona. Uh, and then we had the fuel mileage situation that happened with Daryl that he was able to hang on. But just just being there and being a part of it. And the thing that hasn't changed, you know, every year standing on the grid, for the start of the Daytona 500, the energy, the electricity, it seems like it just always ramps up every year. You know, there's this anticipation that the season's going to start and it's the Daytona 500, you know, and as Ron Hornaday said, when he was inducted into the hall, he said, it's the friggin' hall of fame guys. And I feel that way about, about Daytona. It's the friggin' Daytona 500. And, and absolutely. It, and as long as I'm able, I will still go. You know, even though I'm not going to do uh, MRN as much, I'll still go to a number of races representing the Hall of Fame and, and those responsibilities. And the Daytona 500 will always be on that list. Wow. Well, let's go back full circle now to current events to finish up. The playoffs, you mentioned the guys who have kind of been the, the top stories all year long, and Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin have just kind of dominated. It seems almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to be in the championship four at Phoenix. But who are a couple of other dark horse-type guys to keep an eye on? You've had Cole Custer, a rookie, win his first race. William Byron just won his first race. Some of the guys who had been stronger earlier, like maybe a Chase Elliott and a Brad Keselowski, have kind of been up and down. What do you see among the other guys we might keep an eye out for? The, the thing I would remind people, 2018, the big three, the big three, the big three became the big three and me and me won. <laughs> and that's Joey Logano. 2016, the worst team of the final four was Jimmy Johnson. Statistically. Statistically. Yeah, yeah. And, and running that day, that weekend. They had not been good all weekend. And he won a championship. Uh, so that's the thing that I will remember. Somebody is going to emerge that we don't anticipate. You know, who is that going to be? Is Kyle Busch going to get hot? Is he going to be like Tony Stewart was in 2011? He all of a sudden gets hot and he's been running, you know, a little bit further back and not been as competitive. Kurt Busch is very competitive in, in this situation. You know, sentimentally, just because the Wood Brothers are who they are, you'd love to see Matt DiBenedetto do well. I don't see him in the final four. I, I think it, it's going to be a huge surprise if Kevin and Denny are not in the final four. But I think you're going to have, you know, I think Chase has a, a very strong chance of being in it. Chase Elliott, I think Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Martin told me after the Daytona race, actually on the air, he said, I think they've kind of forgotten about us, and I'm happy about that. They may be the best one-win team easily. You look at how they've had the thirds and the seconds and all that. So if he has a, a few good races, I think Martin is certainly somebody you can never count out any of the Penske guys, any of those three. You know, Ryan Blaney's been so good at places like Talladega that's going to be one of those transfer races. You know, I think there's a good, you know, there's a good 
all 16 can make it, uh, but I think there's a good six or eight behind Denny and Kevin that not only have a very, very strong chance of making the final four, but having a chance to win there. While Kevin and Denny are good at, at, at uh, Phoenix, so are many of those other guys. Martin's good there. Kyle's good there. Chase Elliott is good there. So you can go down the list. I don't. I am not ready to hand either one of them the trophy. Now, the trophy may go through the two of them, but we've seen plenty of times where the best team all year, Kyle, last year, and won a race since, what, Indianapolis? Yeah. You know, Martin's team makes an error on pit road, put a little bit too much tape on Denny's car. They were the two best cars then. That's what I love about this sport. That's why we rack them up and run them. So uh, that, that's what I'm excited about with the playoffs. And this whole year has been every time we think we know something, it changes, right? So I think there's much more unexpectedness, if that's even a word, to come. There's no question about that. No question about that. There's, you know, somebody unusual, whether it's a Bristol, you know, that's a race that somebody different can easily win. You know, we talk about Talladega being a wild card race and you got a lot of guys that run top five or top 10 there, but you tend to have the same guys are still winning those races on a, a week in and week out basis. But then you have William win his very first race this weekend. So I think you can have anybody win at a place like Bristol, anybody win at a place like Talladega. Who had uh, at Austin Dillon winning at Texas? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Who had, you know, they start to restart at Kentucky. I said, okay, Cole Custer's going to push Kevin Harvick to the win. Cole Custer said, uh-uh. I got a race team here. He got one heck of a run. And I talked to he and Mike Shiplett after that and said, the thing I admired, he went and took it. He didn't back into it. He went and took it at a mile and a half track that these other guys have been so good. So, I think it's a bit of a stretch to think that Cole is going to go to the final four, but he has proven he can go out there as has Austin can go out there and he can win, not back into something. So that proves, I think somebody is going to fall out of this first round that we don't expect. It's a survive and advance game for sure. Almost like the NCAA tournament. Well, Winston, we appreciate your time. Look forward to catching up with you this weekend at Darlington. I'll be doing the pre-race, and hopefully you'll be talking to a lot of drivers on pit road before we get rolling. And, man, I can't believe it's almost playoff time. Can you? I'm, I'm <laughs> shocked. If somebody would have told me back in May we would be back on track at Dover, I'd have said I'll take that bet. I thought we were <laughs> going to be racing into November, and if we got done by Thanksgiving or early December that we would be fortunate. Uh, you know, the whole industry, you know, NASCAR's leadership cannot be overstated, but the whole industry and, and how people have taken this thing so seriously, you know, we don't even get to go in the garage area. I hate not being able to have those conversations, but it's the right thing. How serious people are taking wearing the mass, the social distancing, doing the right thing, being on track to having the playoffs like they were scheduled for cup and very close on the other two series. You know, we're, we're in for a great playoffs for all three series and hats off to NASCAR, but to the entire industry. And, you know, I won't say I can't wait to get to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I just can't wait to get to every one of the races and the ones I'm not going to to watch them <laughs> and listen to them, of course, on, on uh, whether it's MRN or PRN. 
There you go. Finish with the plug, baby. That's how you get her done. That's Winston Kelly, the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Motor Racing Network's lead pit announcer as we get set to start the playoffs this weekend at Darlington. We'll be right back. Citywide to countryside. Whatever you drive, wherever you go, Hercules Tires has the value, selection, and industry-leading warranty to get you there, no matter where the road takes you. Go to HerculesTire.com. There you can find the nearest authorized Hercules retail location to you. Plus, you can use the tire tracker to find out which Hercules tire fits your vehicle the best. That's HerculesTire.com. Hercules Tires. Ride on our strength. Welcome back to MRN Crew Call. Don't forget, we want to play along with you while you're watching and listening to the races here as we go through the playoffs. Use the hashtag NASCAR Tailgate and play along with us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Let us see what you're doing while the races are going on. If you're grilling out, if you've got a bunch of friends over at your man cave, if you're hanging out, whatever you're doing, Play along with us. Use that hashtag NASCAR tailgate. That's all the time we've got on this week's program. I'm Woody Kane, and we want to thank Winston Kelly, the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, opening back up soon. Make sure you check them out when things get back to normal in terms of the Hall of Fame. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of MRN Crew Call. MRN Crew Call was brought to you by Hercules Tires. 